We will, do welcome you to worship, and I also invite you with the um, prophet card. If you picked up your prophet cards, we have been looking at Old Testament prophets. We also are now, as Pastor David mentioned, in the beginning of the Christmas season, so we also pick up some th seasonal themes, and so we're bringing the two of them together because today's theme is hope, and today's prophet is Ezekiel. We've been doing these for quite a few months. We've got two more weeks. We're still going to be looking at Isaiah, and we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. But this morning, I want us to just give a focus to that word hope. Biblical hope is very different than human hope. Our biblical hope, the way the scripture talks about it, is a hope in God and a trust that God holds the future. We don't know the future, and we don't necessarily like how things are at times in our life, but we know who does hold the future, and so our hope doesn't come in having things the way we want, but knowing who we can trust in. But what do we do when we feel hopeless? Have you ever felt hopeless in your life? Have you ever felt hopeless in your life? Yes, we have. We've all been there. We obsess. Maybe we feel hopeless because of a relationship and something that happened in communication. And so we go back and we think about what we said. Or we think about what we didn't say. Or we think about what we should have said. Or we hold resentments. We can't believe what somebody did. And now we're feeling hopeless and something is lost. And so we start obsessing over that person or that situation. Sometimes we control. We feel like life is out of control. Guess what? It is out of control. I hate to tell you, but you don't have control. The Bible never says that you get control. God's in control. So we are out of control. But in those times, when we start feeling hopeless, we start to control. But most importantly, or most negatively, what we do is we try to turn things back to how they were before. We think, you know, in the good old days, everything was perfect. If I could just get everything back like that, I would feel good. We forget about the fact that when we were back there, we were thinking the same thing. But somehow, in the midst of feeling this sense of hopelessness, we say, if I can only have it the way it was before. Which brings us to Ezekiel the prophet. He lived 590 years before Jesus. Makes him a long time ago. Judah had fallen, and we've talked about this before, but there was a united kingdom, which was Israel, and it gets divided. Israel becomes the northern kingdom. Judah becomes the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians, and then years later, in the 6th century B.C., Judah fell, and that's when Ezekiel becomes a prophet. When Judah falls, the people are taken into captivity in Babylon, and that also happened to Ezekiel. He and others were taken into captivity. Now, that sounds pretty bad. I don't think any of us would like to be living in a time when somebody comes in and conquers us and takes us into captivity, even though there are times in our lives we do feel like we are in captivity. But as life would have it, things got even worse. Because you see, in chapter 33 of Ezekiel, 20 years after he's taken into captivity, news comes into Babylon, and Ezekiel hears it, that now the temple has been destroyed. So think of that situation. The nation's been defeated, you've been taken into captivity, and now the beloved temple has been taken down. It would be sort of like us being taken into captivity and living somewhere else and maybe thinking, I hope that I can get back and maybe we can recreate America only to find that Washington, D.C. is destroyed. 
The Capitol is gone, the White House is gone, and all the government buildings are not there anymore. You see what happened after the nation divided, then they fell, they went into exile, and the temple was destroyed, that Ezekiel understood not only that things were bad, but they couldn't turn back time. Do you hear that? There's times in our life when we realize that we don't like how things are, we're feeling hopeless, and we can't go back. There was a permanence to the situation. And that brings us to Ezekiel chapter 37. This is where God takes Ezekiel and shows him a vision, and this is what we're going to look at this morning. And the vision is much like what we see here. It's a vision of a valley, a dry valley, only on that valley, in this vision that Ezekiel has, there are bones all over the valley. It's these dried out bones. Now, we did have a visual with a bunch of dry bones, but I was concerned that if we put that up, nobody would pay attention to the sermon and they'd just be sitting there going, now that is one weird visual up there. So we only are giving you the valley today. But I want you to get that image that things were bad, things had fallen apart, they couldn't go back, and now God gives Ezekiel this vision, and in this vision, he's taken to this valley. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that our hope and our faith can be put in you. For like Ezekiel, there are times in our lives when we feel like something's lost, we feel hopeless, we feel like we wish things were different, but they aren't. We struggle, we go in our head, and we know that none of that makes it any better. Help us learn what Ezekiel learned. Help us learn what this prophet discovered 2,500 years ago. And in learning that, help us to apply it in our lives, that when we feel hopeless, we can have hope. That when we face situations that we don't like, we can discover where our hope lies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Biblical hope is different than human hope. Human hope, again, oftentimes is a hope that we hope for something that we want and we want it to be our way. Biblical hope, as we're talking about today and understanding God's hope, is hoping in God and realizing that what God can do is better than anything we can come up with anyhow. Amen? Listen to the difference. When we do it our way, we come up with our own best thinking but when we have our hope in God, we discover that God will give us something better than we can even imagine. And how do we discover that? How do we find that? And that's what our passage is about. It begins by learning to accept what is. I love that word acceptance because all of life is ultimately about acceptance. And that's hard for us to do. We don't like to accept. We want things different. We want our will. We want our wishes but what Ezekiel discovers when he goes to this valley, as he's heard this news about how things even got worse after he was taken into captivity, is he has to help the people to accept life as it is. Verses 1 and 2 of Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel said, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me out around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. A valley filled with bones dried out from the sun. There was no possibility, as 
Ezekiel looks at that situation that that represents life. He wasn't taken to a little nursery with a bunch of cute babies and said, this is the future of Israel. He was taken to a place where all he could do at that moment is accept how bad life had become and accept things that he didn't like. This is a message of total hopelessness and finality, and it's a place we find ourselves at time, and it's okay if we're going on our own hope to feel hopeless, to realize we don't have hope in ourselves, therefore we have to trust in God. And that's the message. It's not that we're hopeless because God doesn't give us hope. It's because we discover at those moments in our life, there ain't nothing else we can do. There was nothing more that Ezekiel and the people could do. There was no possibility that they could put together an army, defeat the Babylonians, go back to Judah, and restore the city. It just wasn't going to happen. At this time of year, one of the things I like to do is go back and read Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. I even watch every version of a Christmas Carol that's out there. I like the Muppet Christmas Carol. I like Magoo's Christmas Carol. Last night I watched... The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is the story of Charles Dickens. Highly recommend it, but then I'm a Dickens Christmas Carol nut. So, of course I would like it. When I read the story, one of the things I love is in the first chapter, when Dickens says this, There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am about to relate. Charles Dickens uses the words distinctly understood to talk about the death of Scrooge's best friend, Marley. Distinct, very noticeable and apparent. He says, you need to understand, and then he describes the death and the funeral of Jacob Marley. The reader knows that Marley wasn't coming back, the past was gone, and... Scrooge understands that his friend Marley is dead. He's not going to get him out of any bad situations. The past was behind, and he wasn't going to be able to turn back the clock. Ezekiel and the people knew that Jerusalem had fallen, the temple was destroyed, and everything they cared about was gone. Have you ever felt like that? I've gotten those moments in my life. I'm like, how in the world did things go so bad? And then I want things back how they were. A number of years ago, my mom and dad were visiting, and it was Christmas time, and my mom wanted to go shopping, and so we went to Providence because we were living in Whitensville at the time. We went to a music store because she wanted to buy a piano lamp for David to give him for Christmas, and as we were standing at the counter and she was buying the lamp, she had a seizure and passed out right there. From there, we... Called 911, she was taken by ambulance to the hospital. It was right before Christmas. We thought she was getting better. She spent Christmas in the hospital. Day after Christmas, I got a phone call from the doctor telling me to come up to Miriam Hospital in Providence. When I got there, the doctor met with me and said, Your mom's not going to make it. You need to call the family. I had to accept life as it was. So I called my brother, sisters, brother, everybody came out. We ended up having people from Michigan, from Minnesota, from North Dakota. And it was December 28th, also happened to be my mom and dad's wedding anniversary, and we solemnly all walked into my mom's hospital bedroom, completely accepting life as it was. 
To which my mom opened her eyes, sat up and said, what brought all of my beautiful children here to see me today? And my mom lived for another year and a half. I never believed that would have happened had we not accepted life as it was. Had I just tried to manipulate and say, no, my mom's okay, she's going to get through this. I don't believe that my mom would have had that next year and a half that we had with her life. Somehow in being able to accept what was and doing what we were told, God was able to work in a way that we couldn't have. This is a theme throughout Scripture, folks. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We love to talk about the resurrection, but we put before us a cross because it reminds us that our Savior died on a cross. And when he was dying on the cross and his life was over, they took a sword and they put it through his side. They took him down. They wrapped him in a shroud. They took him to a tomb, and then they put a big rock over it. In order to experience resurrection, we have got to accept life as it was, and we have to understand that as Jesus' closest friends stood there weeping at the tomb and left that day, they were totally hopeless, and they accepted the fact of life what, is, what it was and when we get to that place in life, when we can understand, I may not like how things are, but they are what they are, and I trust in God, we start becoming open to a different kind of hope. Not our best thinking, not what we want, not manipulating and controlling everything around us and getting things back the way that we think that they were perfect, but now trusting that God has a better future than anything you can imagine. Amen? It happens over and over in our lives when we accept. But we have to begin with acceptance. And then the next thing we need to do, just like Ezekiel does, is we need to avoid overstating our knowledge. Because sometimes what we do as Christians is we go to that hopeless, woe is me, there's nothing good that can come out of this, how could this happen, I know life is over, and that's also not true. That's thinking that we're God. As much as we can accept things as they are, we do not know the future. Or we overstate it the other way, and we make false promises, and somebody's going through something tough, and we go, oh, well, don't worry about it, this is going to be okay. And we have no way of knowing that, and we make promises to people or to ourselves that don't come true. What we discover that Ezekiel gives us is the realization that we need to avoid overstating our knowledge. Verse 3, God said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Basic question. God looks at Ezekiel in the midst of this vision and says, look at these bones. Can they live? Now, if Ezekiel is an optimist, he says, of course they can live. Yes, I know, God, you're going to bring them back to life. If he's a pessimist, he says... Oh, absolutely not. Look how hopeless things have become. But Ezekiel doesn't say either of those. Listen to his words. Lord God, you know. Lord, you know. Not me. I can't predict the future. God, I can't tell you what the, what's going to happen. I can trust in you. I can seal my life in you. I can know that your plans are better than my plans. The Bible teaches me that. But I don't know. God asked Ezekiel if he knew the future. Ezekiel the prophet declared that only God knows the future. I'm going to say it again. God asked Ezekiel the prophet if he knew the future. Ezekiel the prophet declared that only God knows the future. Sounds similar to Mark chapter 13. Jesus one day is walking and Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the holy huddle, 
the inner circle. They must have all been talking. They go, well, you know, we got a question for Jesus, and we're going to get this all figured out. So they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, when is it going to be over? When are you going to set up your kingdom? When is all pain and suffering and death going to be no more? When is the kingdom of God going to be fully realized in this world? They wanted to have the inside story so they could tell everybody else. Listen to Jesus' answer. That day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son. Hear what Jesus said? I can't tell you. You want me to predict the future. You want me to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Even Jesus said that. Ezekiel avoided overstating what he knew. Jesus avoided overstating what he knew. Still, we become convinced of something and fail to leave room for God. We think we're smarter than Jesus and Ezekiel. We think that, oh, it's bad, it's really bad, there's nothing that can happen and it's over and there's nothing we can do. Or we say, oh, I guarantee this is going to happen and, and I have confidence and then things fall apart. What God wants us to come to is to the place where we can trust in God and not in our own thinking. Not thinking that we have to have it figured out because we don't have to have it figured out and that becomes an idol in our lives. My brother was a doctor. And as a doctor, he would give diagnoses to people and he would tell them exactly what was happening. And I'm sure we all appreciate that from our doctors. And sometimes my brother had to give people some pretty bad news. And he said that usually what would happen is people would leave and then they would come back and they'd have another appointment and they would say, oh, Dr. Cushing, I'm going to die. He goes, why do you say that? And the person would say, well, I've read all about it. 90% of the people who have what I have don't make it. And my brother would always answer the same way. He said, you know, percentages only work with groups. You are either 0% or 100%. So stop thinking that you know what's going to happen. Quit thinking there's no hope. We do that all the time in our lives. We find ourselves hopeless because we look at the dry bones and we predict the future out of it. Either we think that it's going to go this way or we say it's going to go that way. And what God says is, no, there's a different way than all of that. Trust in God. Put your faith in your reliance in God and that's where we start having the blessing because then we become open to what God's going to do. Years ago, I was asked by somebody to go to court. Now, this happens to me probably more frequently than I like to think. I know that because I shared this last week. A couple years ago, I got a speeding ticket and I ended up in court here in town and they looked at me and they said, Reverend Cushing, what are you doing here? And I realized that people do know who I am. But that's because I go with other people and they go to court. Now, this person had done a number of things that I hadn't realized ahead of time and had been arrested before and came and talked to me about it in the days, weeks, and months leading up to their court case. And they shared with me that it was probably going to go bad this time, but they were going to fight, but they wanted me to be there with them. And they asked me what I thought they should do. And I said, well, as your pastor, what I really think you should do is you should walk up, and when the charges are read, you should say, yes, I did that. I'm wrong. I'm guilty. Whatever's coming to me. We talked about that for weeks. We prayed about it came time for us to go to court, and a person came, and we were driving to court. The person asked me, 
do you really think I should admit that I did something wrong? Shouldn't I fight? And I said, well, no, you shouldn't fight because you were wrong. You're asking a pastor what to do. I'm telling you what you should do is you should admit what you did. I don't know if I can do that. And I said, then don't do that. Really? I shouldn't do that? No, you should do that. But if you're not going to do it, don't do it. You've got to make your own decision. We get there. We're sitting in the court. The person turns to me. The judge is up here. There's a little gate here. And everybody else is sitting back there. So imagine you're all in court and the judge is up here. And the person, we're sitting on this side over here. The person turns to me and says, I can't do it. I said, then don't. I said, do you want to go talk? The person said, yes. So we walk out of the courtroom. I can't do it. Why can't you do it? I need to fight this. If I don't fight, all these bad things are going to happen. I said, then fight. Should I? No. We've been through this a hundred times. What you should do is you should stand up and admit what you did wrong, and you should be okay with that. So we go in. We sit down. The judge finally calls the case. The person's standing up. I'm sitting there praying for the person. The charges are read, and the person says, I'm 100% guilty. I did exactly what they said. I was wrong. I'm taking what's coming with me. My pastor's here with me, and I want to do the right thing. Judge calls somebody up. Person comes up, talks to the judge. That person goes over, talks to the person. Person's walking out, says, can my pastor come along? They say, yes, we go into the other room. We sit down in the conference room. My heart's beating. <laughs> What's this going to be about? person said, the judge has decided to clear you of all charges. I didn't see that one coming. We go back in, finalize everything. We're walking out of the courtroom. The person turns to me with a big grin and says, how did you know that was going to happen? I said, I didn't. That's why I drove today. I thought they were going to take you in handcuffs and take you to jail. That's why we're in my car, not your car. Don't overstate your knowledge. We don't know the future. We know our hope and our trust is in God, and we're called to do the right thing. Amen? And leave the results to God. Because what I knew and what I know that we need to learn is if that person had gone to jail, that was God's working in that person's life and God would have carried that person through. If that person would have put on probation, God would have worked in that person's life and was carrying that person through. And if charges were dismissed, God was putting that work into that person and God was going to be faithful. The responsibility the person had was not to think that he or she or any of us know the future or can predict it or figure it out the way we want it, but to do the right thing, to trust in God and realize that that's where our hope lies. Amen? Amen. That's what the Bible teaches us. And that's what Elijah discovers on the dry bones. Don't think we know the future. We don't know the future. We know that we can trust in God and we can live the right way and we can live by faith. So what do we do? If we understand that we have to accept what is and avoid overstating knowledge, is there anything we can do? Absolutely the same thing that happened to Elijah. We can speak words of life. We can speak the truth of Scripture. We can make God's Word part of our life so we quit living according to our own thinking. Verses 4 through 6, Then God said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Notice who said that. Elijah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel doesn't come up with that idea himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to say these words. Rather, God says to Ezekiel, 
prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Don't forget what this prophecy was about. Judah had fallen, the temple was destroyed, and no human force could change things from what they were. There was nothing that Ezekiel or the people of Judah could do to make life better. They were where they were, they accepted what it was, they trusted in God, and now God says to Ezekiel, speak scripture, change your thinking, speak God's word. Because when we speak God's word, it's word of life. In our men's Bible study, I shared last week that we've been talking about a love walk, that big macho thing for a bunch of guys to get together. And last week, the topic became walking around our neighborhoods and praying for people and putting a smile on our face and just helping people. This week, the guy who led it, keeping on the theme of love, said, we're going to talk about road rage. What he explained is he said, you know, I've always suffered from road rage. Not that I do road rage, but when other people drive crazy, it drives me nuts. He said, so a few years ago, I went to my own best thinking, and I figured it out, and I said, when somebody's driving crazy, I'm going to put my blinker on, pull over to the side of the road, and let them go by. And he said, that sounds like a good answer, but here's what happened. Now I'm secretly wishing for something bad to happen to that person. I'm watching and thinking, ooh, I hope there's a cop up ahead, and I just hope they get what's coming to them. Or he said, worse yet, a lot of times I would then follow that person, and then, you know, if there's like a dual lane, and they were getting in the right lane, I'd get in the left lane, and I'd go past them, and I'd say to myself, ha ha, see, I was right all along. He said, that didn't solve anything. Because now I'm all upset. And he said, I realized there needed to be something better. I needed hope. I needed a better way of living my life. So he said, I realized Scripture gives us answers to everything. So I went to Romans 12. And he says, this is now how I deal with crazy drivers in this world. Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with everybody. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And he said, I had the answer to crazy drivers. I now pull over to the side, I put my blinker on, pull to the side of the road, and I pray for the person. And once I can let it go, I get back on the road and I keep driving because that's what God's Word told me to do. It didn't tell me to pull to the side of the road and hope that something bad happens to them. It told me not to repay evil for evil. And he realized that's what was missing in my life. And he said, so now when I do that, I then think like this. Maybe that person's just having a bad day. Maybe that person's in a hurry to get to work. Maybe they're struggling with something. Maybe they have to get to the hospital. I no longer think those negative thoughts. He said it didn't happen all at once, but God's word is true. It changes us when we speak words of life. It gives me hope because I'm no longer relying on my own thinking that messes up my life.
The question is for us, if we're going to have hope, are we speaking God's word into our lives? We hand out here in our church the daily bread in the upper room. We have them out on the visitor table. Do you take time every single day and read a devotional so you start your day with God's Word and thinking about God's Word? We have Bible apps that people can open and every single day get a Bible verse and a way to immerse our lives in Scripture. So we're reading words of hope into our lives, not the negative crap that's all around us because, folks, it's everywhere. And if we let that stuff control our thinking, we lose our hope. If the best I can do is CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, I'm not a very happy camper. But when I can start hearing God's word and God's perspective on our lives, I'm sorry to call Janice out. I already told George I was going to do it, so I don't know if he told you. But a number of years ago, I talked to Janice about somebody who needed a friend. And Janice started getting to know that person. It was somebody who was quieter and just needed somebody to connect with them. And Janice then started sending Bible verses. And then a tragedy happened in their family. And every day, Janice sent a Bible verse. That's all she did. Sent a Bible verse. Do you know what her response was? Zero. Got nothing back. Next day, she'd send a Bible verse. Got nothing back. Sent a Bible verse. Got nothing back. Sent a Bible. Got the pattern? One day, Janice came to me, and she said, I don't know what to do. I know this family is going through a really tough time, and I keep sending these Bible verses but I get nothing in return. I said, just keep sending the Bible verses. They didn't ask you to stop. See, that's what the Bible teaches us. Speak God's word to people. You want hope? Give people a scripture. We then made a visit to the hospital where the person's daughter was overcoming a pretty tough time. And when we walked in and the person saw Janice, they smiled, and the mom said, this is the person who sends us the Bible verse every day that we read, honey. You hear what we do? We speak God's word to people because it encourages people, because it gives us God's perspective. That person and that family are doing awesome today. They were in worship yesterday. It's not about us. I can't give you the future. If you come to me and you tell me that there's something wrong in your life and, and Pastor Stan, I need this to happen, I can't promise you that. I can't, I can't tell you the future. If you come to me and you go, Pastor Stan, life is awful and horrible and I just know it's going to fall apart, I can't tell you that it's not going to fall. I can't, I don't, I, I'm not God. I don't see the future. But you know what I do know? When we accept and we can accept life how it is, we can quit overstating the fact that things are so good or so bad and we can put our faith back in God and we can get back to God's word. We find hope. We find that God cares about us and the future is better than anything that we can imagine today. You come to worship. If you've never learned to put your trust in Christ, if you've never understood that our hope is not in ourselves but in Jesus, Today's a great day to do that. When worship is over, please come talk to me and we'll have a prayer together. Because you see in our lives, there's so many things that want to steal our hope. There's so many things that want to be in control. 
There's so many negative thoughts and negative images out there, and there's so much fear that goes around in our society. And what Ezekiel understood is things are bad. It's okay to accept that things are bad. It's okay to accept that there's a problem. But we're not going to fix it ourselves. We're not going to have it the way we want it. Therefore, we put our trust in the one who holds our future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for loving and caring for us, and no matter where we are, for letting us know that we have a future with you. If we've never trusted in Christ as our Savior, if we've never put our lives completely in your hands, help us to do that today. Help us to realize that you died for us, you gave your life for us, that we could have a forgiveness for things in our past. We can let go of things. We can let go of trying to control the future and know that you hold our future. If one of us today needs to have the conversation with someone, help us to be bold and come talk to our pastor and say, this is where I am and this is what I need. If something else is going on in our lives and we need prayer, help us to speak out to somebody that is a Christian in our life, to pray with us, to talk with us. There's so many times that we get distracted and we get fearful, we get anxious, we get angry. We want life back the way it was. Help us learn what Ezekiel learned. We're not going back to Judah and the temple's not there. But that's okay. Because we know that you love us, you care for us, you guide us, and your Holy Spirit is doing a work in our lives beyond anything that we can imagine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.